So it wouldn't be a Christmas service without some kind of a Christmas message. You know, at our house, whenever somebody asks Dad a question, it usually turns into a sermon. (laughs) And that could be a good sermon or a bad sermon, depending on the question. But I had something that I wanted to share with you this morning. See, I generally do the same message every year for this service. And Monday night, Tuesday morning, I felt like God wanted me to share something else. And the gist of today's message is this. What do we do when God changes our plans? Like, this was supposed to be kind of an easy week for me, sermon-wise. Like, I already had one written, but... God said, you know what, Chip, I got something else. I want some people to hear this. And so, like, what do you do when plans change? Maybe, maybe, like, what do you do when when your day, you've had one of those days that's just all messed up? Maybe it was a week, a month, maybe your entire year, 2023, has just been a train wreck. Or maybe, instead of just one kind of messed up thing after another... You step back and take a look, and it was God changing the plans for you. So if any of that speaks to you, I'm here to tell you there's a reason why you're here today. Because I want to share with you, what do we do when things go wrong? What do we do when there's a change of plans? What do we do when God changes our plans? You know, the story of Christmas... The biblical account of Christmas is all about a story of a group of people who totally got their lives turned upside down and a huge change of plans just crashed into their lives. Now, you can say that their lives got turned upside down, but I think their lives got turned right side up. Those who chose to act according to what God was asking them to do. Like, for instance, let's take Mary and Joseph. There's a young couple. They're engaged to get married. They certainly had a change of plans for what they originally thought their future was going to look like. In the middle of their wedding plans, Mary, a young girl engaged to be married, gets a visit from the angel Gabriel. Not just any angel, Gabriel. Gabriel is like topless, him and Michael. At least they have to be. They're the only names that we have in there. That Gabriel comes and visits Mary. He says, Mary, you are highly favored. Begins to tell her that you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to give birth to a baby. It's going to happen before you get married. You're going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, things are taking a turn here, right? She says, well, how can this be? And he tells her, you know, Holy Spirit and all that. And her response is, let it be so. Like, I don't understand this, but let it be so. And so then, like, young lady engaged to be married, goes away, comes back, and has to explain to her fiancé that she's pregnant. Now, we we got we to gotta have a little bit of grace for Joseph here. I mean, really? Really? You're telling me that the Holy Spirit got you pregnant. 
mean, it's a, I'm sure Joseph had some questions. But then an angel visits him, all right? And this is in uh, Matthew, this is in Matthew chapter 1 that we see. An angel comes in the middle of the night and says, hey, Joe, bud, dude, listen. Relax. Mary is telling you the truth. I know it's crazy. But here's what he says in the New Living Translation. Don't be afraid to marry her. She will have a son. His name will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And this fulfilled the prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah spoke all about this. And so Joseph, you know, he had a decision to make. He said, okay. I believe you. <laughs> and he continued on with his engagement to marry this young lady. God certainly changed their plans. And then there's the Jewish religious leaders. Right? The Jewish people at the time, they were God's chosen people, and everybody in all the land knew this. Their God was the God, God Almighty. And all of their Old Testament prophets, all of them, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Malachi, Hosea, Amos, all of them spoke of this Messiah who would come and save them. Well, when he came in the form of a baby, as a lowly, humble, in a lowly, humble way, they weren't buying it. See, they were looking for a political messiah. They were looking for a messiah to save them from the, the heavy, oppressive rule of Rome. They were looking for a messiah who would be a conquering warrior. Not these messages about pray for those who persecute you, do good to those who harm you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These certainly weren't the messages of the Messiah that we have been told about by our prophets. And then Jesus begins to say things that only the religious leaders would understand that he is equating himself to God. This, this is not, it's not our Messiah. And furthermore... He would take it a step further and he would heal people on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. We do nothing on the day of rest, according to the Jewish religious leaders, including healing somebody. Yeah. And then he had the audacity to forgive people of their sins in front of the Jewish religious leaders. This can't be our Messiah, they're thinking. There's no way. So certainly... God changed their plans. And then how about the lives, much like some of ours, that were radically changed by the encounter that they had with Jesus? My all-time favorite story in this part in this story is the shepherds. Like the night that they knew the Savior was born was not going to be another ordinary night of watching their sheep. Shepherds at the time would guard their sheep. And shepherds... I, I look at the shepherds like these were guys you want around you for protection. Like 
they would guard their sheep from, from wild animals, wolves, and, and, and thieves, and, and things that would come in to try to destroy and harm their sheep. I don't think the shepherds were afraid of anybody or anything. And then along comes an angel this night, and in the story it says they were frightened. I, I imagine, rightfully so, the angel appears, it's probably huge and, and bright, and, and they're scared. And, he's, and, he, and he tells them, the Savior of the world has been born tonight, and he's in Bethlehem. And then a, a heavenly host, and, and the Bible says that a heavenly host of the Lord's armies appeared in the sky, thousands upon thousands, millions. And they sing glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to whom those with God, whom God is well pleased. Clearly, they couldn't deny what they had just witnessed, so they raced over to Bethlehem, and they see this baby born in a manger, just as the angel had said. The Bible says they, they went back to their hometown and praising God and telling everybody what they had just seen and heard. Can you imagine the stories later on in life when your grandfather, who used to be a shepherd, told you of that account? And then how about the innkeeper? The innkeeper is kind of a famous one in this story. We, we kind of all know that, that. There was no more room in the inn for this young couple. All the innkeeper has is a stable. We're about to give birth. I got nothing for you, but I, I do have a stable in the back, you know, where the animals sleep and do their business and eat. And a stable at the time was, was not a, a, a nice little, like the nativity sets and the scenes that we have it was more like a cave and and that little wooden box that we have we put baby jesus in yeah that's where the animals ate and drank from that was the very first place our king jesus laid his head very humble lowly way for the messiah the savior of the world to enter into the world no fanfare at all for him and then there's another group of people, the wise men. You know, the wise men were, they weren't religious leaders per se, like we would think. They worshipped all kinds of things. They were philosophers, they were astrologers, astronomers, studiers of all kinds of writings. And in some of these writings they came across, it is said that when a star appears in the sky, and a star just happened to appear in the sky, that this savior of the world to the Jewish people would be born and so they pack up their stuff and they they head all the way across the Middle East to go see this newborn king and what was their response well they brought gifts but before that they bowed down they, and they worshiped him they had an encounter with Jesus and it changed them they worshiped him we don't worship something unless something is happening inside of us. I actually picture this scene as being a very silent, solemn moment. All of a sudden, everything they had studied and learned spiritually meant nothing because their lives were radically changed by Jesus. You know, again, a, a change of plans in this story here altered the course of history for many people. 
forever. And we have the recordings in our scriptures, in our Bibles. So I ask you, how about you? Has God ever changed your plans? Has God ever changed things up on you? You know, sometimes when God changes our plans, we, we have to take a step back and, and process things for a minute. Because this wasn't how I anticipated this to come. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a family. Maybe it was relational. Maybe it was just something in your life. This wasn't what I had intended for things to be. This weren't my, these weren't my plans. Think about Joseph. Or the religious leaders. They certainly had to process what was going on. I mean, poor Joseph was probably just wigged out in his brain. Like, how do I, I don't, I am, I am just done. I thought we were getting married. I honestly think that maybe God was like, yeah, I laid a lot on you, Joseph. But I'm going to send an angel to kind of help explain things a little bit. And Joseph acted accordingly. He responded accordingly. I'm in this, God. I am in this. I believe you. Well, the religious leaders, well, the Messiah didn't show up the way they thought he was supposed to show up. And most of them denied who he was. There was a few that put their faith in him and had some questions and came to visit him and had what I would call healthy conversations in wrestling with their religious views. But here's the thing. Even though the religious leaders, like, they dug their heels in the ground so much that they wanted to kill Jesus. And that they did. But that did not catch God off guard. That's why we have the cross. If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, which was actually a part of the plan, we couldn't receive the forgiveness of our sins and and the healing and the wellness and the wholeness of our bodies. But before we go any further, though, I do want to say that I want to be very clear about a couple of things. Number one, not everything is God's will. Sometimes we make decisions and, and you know, we got to fix our own thing. Like, you know, you just, you just, you just made some dumb decisions. And sometimes... We think that God causes things to happen to us that why would he do this? For instance, God would never cause sickness and bad health to be upon us as part of his plan for us. He is a good, good father in heaven who loves his creation, who loves his children. That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't believe he would do that. Now... There may be some trials and some challenges and some difficult times that are a part of his plan for us. Absolutely. I can attest to that. But evil and ill will is never an intended part of God's plan for us. Opposition, we may face. Challenges, we may face. Difficulties, we may face. Sicknesses and, 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 and intended ill will, not from God. And this is the, the, the thing that we have to figure out, the place where we have to get, kind of mentally, like, and ask the question, God, is this you? 
is this you that I'm experiencing? Is this you that's changing the course of my life right now? I like to go to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. It says this, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You can fight the plans of God in your life all you want, but his purpose will prevail. Meaning, if you're not going to work with me, I'll find somebody else. I got plans. I got things. I know what I want to do in the land where you're at. We can join him or we can choose not to. See, the most important thing that we must do to know whether or not this is God is we need to learn to listen. Ask the question, God, is this you? I mean, things are just upside down right now. It's a mess. And I need to know if you're in this. I need to know where you're at in this. God's plan for, for you know, and, and anyways, here's what I call. I call this following the lead of God. I live my life by this. When things get disrupted, I ask God, God, are you in this? Did you want me to veer off to the right instead of going straight? Did you want me to take a left instead of going right? Where are you at in this, God? And then I listen. I listen to the people around me. I listen to, I look at the circumstances and I ask God, is this you? Are we paying attention? Are we communicating with our creator on a regular basis? Like, is Jesus a part of our daily lives? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if he was so recognizable that it would take all the guessing out of it? Like the, the plans that God had for Mary and Joseph. Ridiculous. Incredible. So far out of the ordinary that he sent angels to speak to them to say, hey, listen, here's what's going to take place. If you choose to move with me in this, it's going to be an incredible ride. But you will be a part of my plan for redemption, for the redemption of mankind. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, I've heard all of this before, and I don't understand why I need a redeemer. Why do I need to be redeemed? Why do I need a savior? I'm a good person. I live a good life. I'm morally good. I treat others the way they treat me. I'm, I'm, you know what? Even when they treat me bad, I, I treat them good. Well, here's the thing. It's all about trust. Building that relationship with our creator. In the very beginning, the very beginning of creation, the story of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God created human, human mankind and he said, you know, you'll populate the earth. What I have for you is so perfect. It's paradise. Way beyond, better than anything we could ever imagine here on this earth. And God said, you can have all of this. Everything is for you. But I just don't want you to eat from that tree over there. Don't eat the fruit off of that tree. Everything else, fair game, it's yours. Parents, you'll agree with me on this. Do you have to explain to your children why they're not supposed to run out into a busy street? Do you really need to explain to them why they shouldn't touch a hot stove or like, you know, run away from you right now while you're out shopping for Christmas presents in the busiest times of days in the stores? We don't necessarily feel like we need to explain everything to them because they, we want them to trust 
that we know what's best for them. And that's what happened in the garden. It was a trust issue. And as with all of us, especially with children, what happened? Curiosity. In the garden, Satan came along in the form of a certain serpent, tempted Adam and Eve, and they gave in and ate. And when they ate from that tree, they brought sin into the world. They brought rebellion into the world. They brought disobedience into the world. They brought sickness and, and all of these bad things into the world. Because Satan became involved in it now. And that's why we need a redeemer. As human beings, we, 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 we must get to a point where we realize, I need a savior. And it's not like a magic bean moment where everything is going to be good and fine. But I'll tell you what, I'd much rather go through the most difficult periods of my life with Jesus as my Lord, leading me through it, than by myself. And so that's why we need a redeemer. But again, like, wouldn't it be nice if he was so recognizable, like he would send an angel to us like he did Joseph? Take all the guesswork out of it? Well, God doesn't move the way he does to keep us guessing. That's kind of nice. He moves the way he does to draw us closer to him, to build that relationship with him, so that we can ask him, God, is this you? And then we see where he's at, and he shows up, and he becomes a part of our lives. That's why he moves the way he does. He wants us to be listening. He wants us to be able to recognize his voice when a change of plans come along. There's a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet that, moved, that walked the earth in, in Israel, and he was God's mouthpiece at the time. And while he was a prophet, there was a king and queen that was very, very wicked by the name of Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel pretty much ruled the land at the time, and Jezebel got all of her spiritual advice from these prophets who worshipped a god named Baal, which really, Baal is, a, is not was, but is a high-ranking demon. And that's who she got her spiritual advice from. And one day, these prophets of Baal and Elijah have this little showdown, 500 of them, one of him. Elijah says, hey, listen, let's see whose God is real. You call out to yours, see if he shows up, and I'll call out to mine, see if he shows up. So all day long, they did everything they could to get their God to show up, and guess what? Nothing. Elijah says, Lord God in heaven, and whoosh, he shows up. Fire everything. And before he leaves, he strikes these prophets of Baal down, dead, 500 of them. Jezebel's very displeased with this, not happy at all. Elijah finds out that she wants his life, and he panics and runs and, and goes and hides in a cave, and he's fearful. He believes he's the only one in the land that is faithful to God. He doesn't know there's others there, but he's, he's kind of freaking out. He's looking for God and everything, and all of a sudden, these winds show up, winds show up. There's No God is in that. Thunder shows up, lightning and everything. No God there. Earthquake trembles the ground. Still, God's not there. And then, a still, small whisper, which was the voice of God, pierced Elijah's heart and spoke to him. 
in the midst of one of his most chaotic moments in life. He was searching for God. He wanted God to show up in such a big way. He wanted to know, where are you in all this, God? God can be found in the still, small whisper that comes from deep within us. That's the voice of God. In Psalm 37, verse 7, it says this. The psalmist writes, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. It's often more important for us to, to listen for God, listen for his voice. But when there's a change of plans and our worlds get rocked, what generally happens? We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk to God and we, we beg and we beg and we ask him where he's at and we want to know and we want to know and we don't hear him and we don't understand why and why and why. Because you're not listening. We're not listening. We're just talking to God. And he's trying to get our attention. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently. Do you know what this looks like to me? Going about your daily business and having a conversation with God. God, where are you in this? My world is rocked. I need some help. And then do your job. Go about being a parent. Do what you need to do to, to, to get through each day. But then listen and look to see where God is in that. And that still, small, quiet voice of reassurance may just show up. Psalm 85 verse 8 says this, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying for he speaks peace to his faithful people. Listening carefully for his voice helps us hear that still small whisper that cuts through all the chaos and it brings peace and understanding. See, God wants us to be at a place where we can recognize his voice. And we won't recognize it if we're not disciplined in learning what it sounds like. And the first step to learning what God's voice sounds like is reading his word, reading the Bible. That's the way he speaks to us. He gave us his word. Holy men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put it down in writing for us. And as we learn, he speaks to us. And the more we read it, the more we learn, the more we're, we learn to hear his voice. He'll speak to us outside of our reading times with him. The Bible is what helps us recognize God's voice. Another thing in all of this is that we have to understand that we have a limited perspective on what our life looks like. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we were all given this giant hovercraft and we could just kind of kind of hover over ourselves, you know, and hey, 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 Chip, about four months down the road, you're going to need to be careful here. Don't make a bad decision. You're going to have some opposition over here. Stuff's going to happen. It's going to make you, it's going to confuse you a little bit. We don't have that. We just have what's in front of us. We have our instincts. Those of us that are believers, we have Jesus. But it is our creator it is Jesus who has the big picture and understands what's coming. See, often when God changes our plans, it's because he has a better plan in mind. It was a part of his plan all along. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. You know, when we look in the mirror, all of us see the flaws about ourselves, we, we see the things that we don't like, 
We see things changing. We see hair falling out of our heads. We see the things about ourselves that we don't like. But God says, that's how I created you. You're perfect. Those characteristics, those ways that you handle things, those physical features, I created those. I gave you those. I love that about you. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. The moment we invite Jesus in our lives, we're new people. So we can do the good things that he planned long ago. Before we were even born, God had our lives lined out for us. The plans he wanted to do through us and with us. But here's the thing. God will never force himself on us. He'll never force us to do what it is that he wants to do with us. We have to make that choice. Do we want to do life on our own terms? Or do we want to join God in what he had planned for us from long ago? I'll tell you what, God's plans are always bigger than we could ever imagine. God's plans are far more rewarding than any earthly plan we could ever follow, any plan we could ever walk through on our own, in our own strength. But I can tell you this too, there will be challenges, there will be difficulties, and there will be opposition when you walk out God's plan for you. But man, I tell you what, when you've got the creator of all things on your side, you can meet those challenges with a peace that exceeds all understanding. Yeah. And you'll be glad you listened to his voice as and followed through with the plans he has for you. Again, again, look at Mary and Joseph. The plan chosen for them was not an easy plan. But they made the conscious effort to join God in what he was doing. Think about all the gossip in town that they had to endure. Think about all the whispering going to the market that took place. And then, right before she's about to deliver this baby, there's a census in the land that's to be taken, and everybody has to return to their hometown. And on their way back to Bethlehem, on their way back, they got to stay somewhere. Mary goes into labor. There's no more room in this hotel they were going to stay at. And the only place for them to deliver this baby is in a stable. In a cave, basically. Again, this wasn't an easy plan to follow. But they chose to join God in his plan of redemption to save mankind from their sins. Mary gives birth to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can offer eternal life in heaven. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can carry us through the trials here on this earth while bringing a peace beyond understanding. And Jesus is the only one who can forgive us of our sins and make us a totally new person. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
You want to take an incredibly ridiculous, rewarding journey in life? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus because you have no idea what he has planned for you. When our plans change, we need to ask God, is this you? Are you trying to get my attention, God? Is there a bigger plan on the horizon? Is there something more rewarding that you want me to do? A path that will be more rewarding? Or, God, are you protecting me from something down the road? And then again, it's all about trust. Listen, God wants us to trust him. To trust that Jesus knows what's best. To trust that he always has our best interest in mind. To trust that he will see us through every change plan that comes our way. Whether it's from him or not. It's all about trusting him. Jeremiah is one of my favorite prophets to read about because of what he endured to be God's mouthpiece at the time. But he says this, verse 17. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. You know what that means? It means when I put my hope, when I put my confidence in Jesus, I am well nourished, spiritually, physically, mentally. Your roots, your life will be grounded deep into the ground. You won't be rocked when things happen. You will be well nourished and stable. Psalm 37.5 says, commit everything to the Lord Trust him, and he will help you. Isaiah chapter 26, God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Trust in the Lord always. When I trust in God, I'm no longer guessing. I have placed my hope and my trust in him, and I believe he will take care of me. I know he will take care of me. My emotions cannot rule the day. Our emotions are usually what get us in that big pickle anyways, right? <laughs> God's word is what keeps me stable as I trust in him from day to day. And sometimes this can be hard. This isn't the easiest thing to do. Life is hard. Life is tough. But that's why Jesus came to the earth. To share with mankind how much God cares for us, how much God loves us, and how much he wants to be involved in our lives. When the trust part gets hard, seek him all the more. Jeremiah 29 says this, if you look for me wholeheartedly, God says, you will find me. If you look for me, you will find me. In the midst of the chaos, Look for me. Elijah was looking in the wind, looking in the storm, looking in the earthquake. And then, that still small voice of God, he found him. I don't know what your situation is, but I do know that Jesus himself wants to be a part of every aspect of your life. And so, as we close this message out, the last thing I want to say is this. Here's what Jesus said before he ascended up to heaven. Here's what he said to the disciples, to those who walked with him for three years. Their world got rocked. They saw things they never imagined they would see with Jesus. And then he says this, Matthew 28, 28. He says, and be sure of this. 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus will never leave you. He will always be with you. 2,000 years ago, a Savior was born for every person on this earth. And everyone who is a part of God's plan of redemption experiences a change of plan. Amen? Let's pray real quick. And then there's a couple groups of people. I have some response time for you. Now, hopefully, hopefully, God can meet you where you're at right now. Some of these things may pertain to you. So let's pray real quick. Jesus, man, I thank you so much, God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for coming to earth the way that you did. I thank you for choosing the people that you did who would respond accordingly. And I thank you for changing our lives. And so right now, God...